slightly different version of the UK Pick 6 podcast this week. Delighted to say I had a chat with uh, Mr. Max Whittle, host of the new MLB UK show Bases Covered, also a NBA presenter on Sky Sports. Man who's worked around the NFL International Series games for The Guardian in the past and has done a whole host of work on uh, Amazon Prime as well on their cricket coverage and, of course, on their Premier League coverage last season as well. Max is heavily involved in the US sports scene and I just wanted to have a chat with him, see uh, how he was doing during COVID-19 times, what was going on in terms of work and play and, and the US sports scene for him and how he's viewing it. And, of course, we got talking about our starts in sports journalism and what we like and what we don't like. Uh, we covered a whole host of topics. It was a really fun chat um, and great to catch up with Max and uh, hopefully uh, be able to do it again at some point soon. But sit back, enjoy Mr. Max Whittle. Over the middle, picked off! Season fired, intercepted! Blitz coming. Pass is picked off! He's going to go looking again, and it's picked off by Stephon Gilmore, down on the right sideline. Into the end zone, and he's picked off. Back the other way. The conversation we had there is seeped into um, the media as well, because I was having this conversation a minute ago with someone about I, I wonder if the virus wiped out social media as well. And I, I'm starting to sort of have questions about how people exist in, in this world. And I think everything's gone on social media, whether it's uh, an exercise challenge or uh, going for a walk or whatever it is. I think without like, um, what's the word, like confirming that you've done that, there's no gratification and it's amazing what would happen now if this virus was happening and, and we weren't able to post about our very minimal achievements. Well, it's that, I mean, somebody I had this conversation about a week and a half ago with somebody and they said that if you don't post something on Instagram, it's like it doesn't happen, especially mm. on the Instagram stories. You know, I mean, there are some people particularly look, I know there's an idea of like we're all I don't know. I don't consider myself an entertainer. I just like the sport and doing the commentary and stuff. But I know that people that are used to being in front of a camera and stuff like that have this almost innate desire you see it with a lot of the stand-up comedians as well to still produce content and some places are just asking people to keep producing content as well but there's also a you can overkill the content like people who've got 20 25 kind of updates on their instagram story and there are obviously people that are watching it otherwise it wouldn't be done but there's also like i don't need to know like what you had for breakfast today and then the parcel that you got, and then what your workout you're doing and everything like that. I mean, if you're a personal trainer, I understand, because you're still trying to keep your business going. But if you're just like a random person, and you're putting up every single workout that you do every single time, it's not, it's just weird. It's not needed. And I'm a sucker for it myself. I've, I've definitely done it. Like I went on a bike ride the other week and um, had this absolute shit show where my uh, my rear tire blew out blew out the inner tube, blew out the rear tire as well, actually put a big hole through it. And I what had to... did you go over? Nothing. I just There was a little, there was a small crack in the road and I felt the bike go over that and it was just went bang, like a proper bang as well. It wasn't like, you know, a slow death or anything. Um, yeah. And then had to get off and I was about five miles from home with like the steepest bit of hill to go. It was like, <laughs> I've got an inner tube, but I can't repair that 
and think that the tire is then going to be okay to ride on with a bit of a hole in it. So I just had to walk home the last five miles, tried it in barefoot initially, painful, super painful, then, had, but didn't have anything else except for my cycling shoes. So, Oh, you're attached to the, yeah. Yeah. So very uncomfortable to walk home in those as well. Um, and so like I put that up on my Instagram thing because I didn't want to have to tell a load of people the story, but at the same time, that was a semi-interesting thing that's happened in my life recently when not much is happening. <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? It sounds like sour grapes, and I am in my in my role as a, a presenter or writer, whatever I do, um, I, I have to post, and I like to post, and I like to see, and I'm falling into that trap as well. And it's it's I have, I'm in two minds about it, because at the end of all of that, you start becoming quite addicted to it. Mm. And that's a, a real problem because you just keep checking for updates and how many people have liked this video, how many people have viewed it. Um, and I, I always I always ask this, like, as I've gotten into presenting more, like, how did presenters used to get work when there was no social media? And the answer probably is they're just good presenters. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't based on following. It wasn't based on how many eggs you could eat in one hour like that. And that that's all yeah. these sort of conversations that make me sound like sour grapes are going around in my head all the time. <laughs> no, but it's it's exactly the same thing as, um, you know, I, again, I don't want to say names or anything like that or throw people under the bus, but there are a lot of commentators that have done a lot of different things during this time. And some of them have been fantastic and quite novel and, you know, I enjoy it. But then when yeah. every commentator sees that and starts doing something and it's like, well... Like that was a really unique piece of content that somebody thought up, put out, and has done well. They've made a little mini name for themselves during a time. What's the no guy's way. name again? The, the Scottish guy with the dog commentary. That That's was great. fantastic. Yeah, that one was really good. Um, I can't remember uh, who, what his name. Yeah, is Yeah, he's all, he's always on the Wimbledon. We should know this. <laughs> we yeah. should definitely know his name. He does the rugby and the tennis. Um, but that was really funny. I have to say that was very good. But then when everybody starts to do it, and you're like. Again, it's yeah. overkill, but it's also people trying to hop on a bandwagon and try and get involved in it as well, which I understand. There's kind of almost a lot of people have a lot of that need. And I'm the kind of person, I think, that the number of tweets I've typed out and then be like, nobody needs to hear this, and then deleted it and never yeah. posted it and stuff. And I just, I still have that little thing in me that's like, just check yourself. Like this conversation right now, I may never put out as a podcast. I don't know yet. Like, <laughs> I've had I've had four conversations with four different, very different broadcasters in the last few days, and they've been great fun to do. And it's quite cool to listen to di different people's ideas and how different people are different on the podcast. You know, some people put on that broadcast, oh yeah, well, blah blah blah, and don't act mm. themselves. Some people are very relaxed and you know, effing and blinding and saying whatever. Um, I don't know if I'll put this out yet because it's like, well, do people really need this? There's so much of this sort of content going about, but then it's kind I of saw that. I saw a tweet about it um, when when this all started about that some, I think it was a, a young woman who basically said, this uh, lockdown means one thing and it's bad news. Every male under the age of 35 is going to start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when you told me about it, I thought, ah, Ollie's just another one. Um, I, I had a real back and forth with podcasting because my like my background is radio and I loved uh, talk sport, like listening to talk sport all day, every day when I was younger. Mm. Uh, not super young. Like I would say I'd started listening to radio when I was 17, 18, but it was always in the background as a kid for football. And now I've kind of gone away from that. And I had a podcast a few years ago 
but I just I kept doing it every week and I, I figured that no one's really listening to it and maybe that's a reflection on me but <laughs> it was it seemed like it seemed less rewarding than doing video and that that probably again that sounds that's like a high ego thing to say um but I, I admire people that make it work because it how do you make a podcast different these days yeah it, the marketplace is so inundated and then even you know the bbc have tried to basically take every single sports cast uh, sports podcast possible with their bbc sounds app you know like history stuff modern day stuff reflective stuff i mean kind of podcast documentaries they've got everything on that and then you open up the itunes library as well and everything else that goes along with that and you know radio shows get immediately turned into a podcast and then put out so it's really difficult to have unique content and the the only way i can see there being a fast track to it is if you can get like big names on or anything like that you know i mean hence why i'm getting max whittle on the uh oh the yeah sky I mean, sports presenter gonna, <laughs> this is why you're gonna post this podcast it'll <laughs> it'll do wonders for your career ollie <laughs> um, yeah you know hanging out with the great max whittle chatting uh all things coronavirus and how to not get sucked into social media like we both seemingly are but you know <laughs> <laughs> but um yep. <laughs> but the, yeah podcasts are, are very odd because as you say you're battling with everybody and then you're battling with the general public in gem like people are tired of hearing like did, uh, opinionated voices i think i think the less podcasting more listening i think that's the solution because then we come up with more ideas i don't know if you find this but when i'm when i'm trying to force the issue with work and it particularly now because there's not really any of it apart from a project I'm doing with MLB. The more I force it and say, right, who can I email today? What can I post on LinkedIn? Uh, what can I tweet? How can, how can I tag someone that will share that? And then boom, we, here we go. If I just step back and just sit back and survey, and it's something my dad always said to me, like just don't chase it all the time. Something inevitably positive happens. Someone will get in touch with you uh something like that and that's that's a real challenge at the moment if you're ambitious and you're there isn't any work at the moment it's that's the difficulty if i sit back surely in quarantine nothing's going to happen but mm. usually it does it's a funny way of it works yeah it's so maybe weird. less listening more ideas it's weird that patience because um like especially i'm sure you've done the same thing you know especially when you're kind of starting out you're you're hustling for work and and a lot of the stuff you do is smaller Less, um, low paying work so you're trying to get five or six jobs done in a weekend or a friday saturday sunday kind of hit and things like that and you keep... wait you mean you're paid well at this point i mean <laughs> i've done i've done i think i've done <laughs> one or two jobs a day <laughs> <laughs> no man you'll be getting that youtube money coming in soon don't worry about that that's when things start <laughs> to change but i mean i've done a, a couple of decent paid jobs i mean i'm still forking out on a lot of my own travel for some things and things like that like uh any good hustler is but you you do start badgering the bigger companies because you think well why can't i be doing that as well because you you're persistent and you you're enthusiastic and and you just want to crack on and, and get on with the career and and actually th th my favorite one was bt who got me in for a test commentary in an april about six years ago five years ago and I didn't hear anything back from them until October. But I I really I refrained from messaging them like every other week or anything like that. Even though deep like my heart was saying, like, just ask, like, is there any news or what's going on? And I actually and I was just kept telling myself, there will be news when there's news. So there's no point badgering them and being that guy on their radar that's like 
he will not <laughs> quit, will he? Like, he just stick his thing to the bottom of the pile and say no for now or something like that. And and you just and wait. they used to tell you, sorry, they used to tell you that that was a good idea, like constantly bad. And I think that's still my issue in in a way. Like, I, I've had similar situations to you. Like, I'm not going to say who and where, but companies that meet you and tell you all these glorious things about you and what they promise they're going to do for you and then suddenly nothing happens (laughs) and you you try and ask them why and you don't hear back and and that's just i think people that are listening that maybe are trying to get into the industry as well that's just the reality and 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 i don't have the answer to that and it's quite a, a tough balancing act because there are people that are coming up that you kind of you want to help because I, I, I'm assuming pe- have people helped you as you've kind of come through as well. Like there's the odd contact or the odd email address that's been kind of given to you by somebody that's a bit like further down the line, so to speak, or anything. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm actually doing a like a mentor scheme um, with one of the companies I work for, Livewire. They, they're doing like a um, diversity in digital, it's called. And they've assigned a lot, a few of us to a mentee. And this particular person is just finishing university and he wants to be a presenter. And there's me and, and a colleague, uh, Sophie, who's doing that with him. And I, I get a lot of students from my uni, Southampton Solent, that are doing the sports journalism course. They will always, you know, want me on for a, a project to comment on it. And I'm like, come on, be more ambitious than me. But uh, <laughs> you're... My lovely lecturers have obviously passed it on. I like giving back, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I see where you're going with that. Like, I'm not where I want to be yet. And as much as I enjoy being, like, giving advice and helping people out, I love it. I really do. And I'll never stop doing it because, you know, the names that you know really help me. Nat Coombs, uh, Ben Fletcher, who's at TalkSport, uh, a couple of others. I'll never forget what they did for me. Um, but at the same time, I'm still trying to get there. So it's kind of hard. I know what to say to them, but do I want to help them out really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, you're, you're a fresh faced up and comer, are you? Oh, and you've got loads of talent. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Great. Oh, I haven't got any contacts. I'm afraid. Sorry, lad. Like, but, but you I can't pass, but aren't you surprised at how many people just say, can I have some contacts? Well, that's, that's the thing that's like, I'll, I'll offer stuff out if I know there's stuff that I can offer. Like if it's not going to take work away from me, and this is something that I learned quite early on as well when I obviously made the foolish step when I was younger of, oh, do you know where anybody I can talk to at like an IMG or someone like that? And the person kind of goes, well, I've only just got in there myself, so I'm not going to give it to you, I'm afraid, because I don't want somebody else coming in. Um, but I have had like LinkedIn especially a number of emails over LinkedIn of people being like, Hey, I was just wondering if you have your contacts for, and a list of basically every single company that I work for. And it's like, well, mm. I don't know if they'll hire me again next season, let alone like <laughs> what's going to happen right. down the line. And you, and you, just... and you, you don't want to give that away either. You, Cause you want to come across, um, obviously successful, you're well established, but you really have no say in production or talent uh, evaluation and, I get the same thing with uh, Amazon Prime. Like people ask me, you know, how do I get in there? And I, I speak to two people at Amazon Prime via another company. I don't, I don't work for them. I'm not in their office, you know. Mm. So, it, and you sometimes you don't want to tell them that whole story, but yeah. yeah, I don't like ignoring people either. Yeah, you, you, as yeah, there's that because you're a real human, Max. That's the difference. So there are some people that can just put like a, a you know iron curtain down and be like, no, this is my job. You go to hell, kind of thing. But people that have a heart and a soul are like, I know what it's like to be there because, what, like three years ago, I am I mean, I'm always hustling. I'm still hustling. And three years ago, I was nowhere near the position that I am now. 
you know so um you kind of want to help people along the journey because you also know how much it means to you as you were saying about people like nat coombs how much you kind of appreciate them for them helping you out in the situations as well it's and then like again I d- i'm not trying to cause tension here or anything but there's a oh, level <laughs> there's a level of like there are people at the same level as you and you're all looking to try and go to the next level and there's like a competition but you also want to have a good working relationship with people and you don't want it to be at loggerheads or anything like that and there are good people in this industry who like i would say i'm friendly with or i am friends with and then it's that balancing act though of like how friendly are you because if it came down to you or him getting a job and all that kind of thing yeah and again that's like the freelance paranoia that comes into it too i think i'm more relaxed maybe that's subconscious but with you obviously i'm i <laughs> let me tell you i i tried commentary once i it was uh 20 like halfway through my uni degree and i there's a guy called chris green who wrote cyril regis's autobiography um rest in peace cyril regis and chris green lives in worcester he's you know established journalist and um i i connected with him uh, cyril was the first interview i did at uni i was lucky my dad worked for him uh, or with him and chris he put me in touch with chris and um he he used to be a commentator for like midlands football and I sent him a tape once. I watched Newcastle versus Man City on my laptop and I commentated. And wow, like I wanted some feedback off this guy. And thank God he sent me something nice and positive. But when I listened to it again a few years later, I, I realized why I never went into commentary. But you're right. Like it, it's hard to, it's hard. I see all these influencers on Instagram and they're all buddy buddy because they're all you know, doing well, the money's coming in the following. But if, if you were fighting for a job um, and you knew that you were going up against someone, how do you have a relationship with that person that's positive? It, it is difficult. It's a, it's a, and it's, it's one small circle. It's a very weird industry and there are definitely, I don't want to say there are cliques because it's not like there's bullying or, or I've never noticed that sort of thing or anything, but there's definitely like just little circles and areas that you want to try and get into, but maybe it's not possible at this time because it's very closed off and to get into that inner circle is going to take a lot of time and, and maybe discussions with somebody else or something else changing and things like that. It's it's absolutely fascinating how many toes you can inadvertently tread on while trying to build up through this business. Yeah, and also that's a, that's a great point because you might tick off a producer while you're trying to get a role in presenting and when you get there, you don't know what that relationship is going to look like if you've had a prior problem on email or, but you know, whatever it is, it's, it's funny how it works. Didn't we meet like that? Wasn't that sports tonight TV, whatever that was, the green screen. Yeah. Shebang. We, I think we met at the NFL in at one of the London games was it before that. And then, cause I asked you to come and do that because we'd met at the oh. London games cause you were doing the guardian video doc stuff. Yeah, and I said, okay. look, we're doing this U.S. sports thing. It's for a piece of crap TV network. Like, I mean, that <laughs> that was so bad production values and everything. Is that class as a TV debut, <laughs> mate? I it's not on my show reel. I'll put it that way. So, uh, <laughs> but, but that's it, though, isn't it? You never know. You never know who you're going to stay in touch with. You never know how these things are going to go. And I, I loved it. I was so nervous doing that. Really. I oh yeah, that was like a, confident I was, as hell. I can't remember. That was still at university then, I think. Oh wow. Maybe, 
maybe just after. I was very excited to be in London doing that, I must say. Because it, um, it was myself and Carrie who were the presenters. And then there was, was it just you and Will, I think we had on? Yeah, and then uh, Stephen Edwards. In fact, I, I, said, I said that wrong. I couldn't have been at uni because I was doing stuff for The Guardian. I was just out of uni, so 2015, 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah, round about then. I mean, I, yeah. as as I say, I think I've blacked it from the from the memory completely, <laughs> like repressed it deep down somewhere. I actually remember sitting next to Will and um, feeling quite intimidated about like how much he knew about the NFL. And uh, the NFL is definitely the third of my American sports in terms of knowledge, and it's way down. But just sitting there thinking, I want to do this American sports speciality thing. And you know who the 53rd guy on the Seahawks roster is. I better shape up or ship out, you know? I, mean, I think Will has that um, that kind of presence with everybody he meets a lot of the time. It's fantastic. He and, <laughs> he and Richard Graves are, without a doubt, uh, two of the best NFL minds that I've spoken to on either side of the pond. Like, they're really nice, like, great guys to chat to in terms of their knowledge. It's just a shame that Rich is a Cowboys fan. And you can't get him. Off, <laughs> you can't get him off that Cowboys like. Wait, wagon. is that why they always send him to Dallas for Sky? Yeah. I never didn't know he was a Cowboys fan. Yeah, oh, he's a huge Cowboys fan. I mean, like after the draft the, the other week, he's just been sending me abusive messages like, "Oh, look who we've got, CD Lamb, and all this kind of stuff." So, oh, yeah, I get it. And yeah, I know the Eagles draft doesn't look great right now, but just just let it go, please, man. Let it go. Um, but yeah, so getting please like him and. Fan him and will together is always like a quite a good conversation because they both know so much and it's like two great nfl minds going at like loggerheads together and i just step back and like you guys chat like i'm still <laughs> still working out who the 47th guy on that seahawks roster is so i'll just uh i'll let you guys go at yeah. it kind of thing i know i think my my formula is to research the hell out of the topic that i have to talk about on a show like if i if something's coming up whether I'm hosting or paneling, whatever it is, and I much prefer to host these days, is just know your subject. Know every play on the team, know the history, know the game context, and, and do it like that. Because if you try and... I, when I read books, I take notes, and I have like a big document. But the more you do that, it's good to be able to refer to, but you're not going to... There's only a few minds, Bob Costas, Al Michaels, those kind of guys who can just remember everything. Yeah. You know, that's a skill. That's amazing talent it's one of those things where you remember what's important to you isn't it and as a natural human being anyway like if it's why some people can remember you know anything to do with the 1966 world cup final still at this age kind of thing or however old they are having watched it but they wouldn't be able to tell you anything about what happened in you know the 2010 kind of premier league seasons or anything like that because it perhaps they just don't relate to that as much as they do to kind of the older football um but to then have that ability to regurgitate it and get it out so coherently as well. Although I do, I love Al Michaels, but like there are a couple, I've always been annoyed with him about the way he called the end of the Eagles Super Bowl victory. Because there was no like... What, what did he say again? There was no emphatic line. He just went, oh, and it's incomplete. And then there was this weird long pause and it's like, and that's the game. And it's like, oh... Eagles fan speaking here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I think a lot of Let's people just point that out. A lot of people will know that it's uh, it's pretty much plastered all over anything that I do around the NFL. I get it in there somewhere. I feel like baseball guys know how to, you know, you could say to um, Joe Buck or Costas again, 
Dan Patrick is another one, like my favorite host ever, Dan Patrick. You could say, or a pitcher, like a player, baseball player. Game seven, 1965, uh, three and two, bottom of the third, two outs. You know, they could tell you the exact pitch they threw um, and the, everything that happened. They can just tell you that story. And that, that's what I find amazing is, is delivery as well. But the recollection of facts and context and exactly what was happening. I just, I love that. And I feel that that speaks to an older generation as well. I don't think we're as good at doing that as, as um, the older generation are. Well, because we have everything on tap as well, don't we? I mean, if you do get stuck mm. and, you can, and you're off camera, on a show you can quickly phone out google something phone out check something or anything all the facts and information are within 30 seconds away if you know exactly where you want to go to get that information so it almost encourages you to not research it so that it's ingrained in your head forever kind of thing have you seen clive tilsley's instagram um which one (laughs) <laughs> the real one. <laughs> he's done. He's done a fair few kind of video bits and stuff like that during the uh, coronavirus. Yeah, times. I like the love the guy for basically being himself. There, there's no, there's no. I'm gonna try and be Instagram Clive. There's just Clive Tilsley and his um his notes. Uh, I know you do. You've got like your very particular setup as well. Everyone has their own way, and his notes. Are, Really impressive. Yeah, uh, he and um, if you ever find Dan O'Hagan, he, he sometimes posted the odd thing of his notes, and it's wonderfully color coordinated with so much mm. information handwritten into a tiny box. But similarly, on my radar in the last kind of twelve months of things is uh, people making like um, fast. What do you call it? Time lapse. There we go. Time lapse videos of them writing their notes. And things yeah. like, oh, a lot of people ask me, how do I do my notes? And <laughs> we should do one of those. I don't sounds really seriously. I, I don't think many people do. I don't think many people ask that. You know honest. what though? I will say I I am a bit of a prep junkie now. I don't mean like because I prep a lot, but I also love it when presenters show you even accidentally um, how they prep. I might not like how they prep, but I'm really intrigued to see. So when when you tweet something, for instance, with your iPad, I know you've got like your lineups and then you've got your notes. Mm. Neil Reynolds did one um, for the Super Bowl and he there was a picture there. And obviously it's a little bit of a look at me like I've done all this work because you know, we've all done it. I will zoom in on that picture and I saw how Neil prepped and I thought it was very, um, very similar to how I do it in terms of cue cards. And he's actually got, his outlines, his inlines and his outlines. He knows what the topics are. He's actually written out the exact questions for whether it's, you know, Rex Ryan, uh, Rob Ryan, Jeff Reinbold, whoever it is. He's got that first question there, which is what I like to do or there or thereabouts. Um, And he knows his outline and his in, because that's important, I think. Some people like to freestyle, but I do like to know how people prep. Just gives you some ideas. I definitely think that's something because I'm very similar. When I've seen uh, Sam Matterface posts a lot of his kind of his me prepping before a game kind of thing, um, and I always try and zoom in and see oh, what program are you using on your laptop there, like what and the yeah. kind of style that he's done it. And I remember many years ago in the um, before I'd even started doing comment, I was just practicing commentary at this point, but um, I met sam in the press room at wolves and i'd just purchased one of the early um, tablets that had a keyboard attachment it was an acer one so you could take out the tablet and have it free or you could plug it in dock it into the keyboard 
and then we we started chatting about how that would help prep and what he would do with it and things like that and it, i think it's something that commentators and presenters are quite nerdy about is that idea of the style of prep but i do find my difference with the kind of the negative perception towards some of it is like the the kind of the the hubris shown of like oh well some people always ask me about uh, how i do my notes so here's the guide for you whereas actually the people that really care are already hijacking and like zooming in on the picture that you've done of your notes and already worked out what you're doing kind of thing and i think the other people are just like yeah i mean yeah you do notes i get it like don't worry about it so and again it's that kind of content for the sake of content that i think i'm just too kind of negative towards in a in a general sense anyway I lo- I love it. Like um, it it was a it was a bit of an accident how I stumbled across. It sounds really stupid, but prepping just how how the the evolution of how you would do it from because my my presenting um, career, if you want to call it that, it started online and then it moved to Instagram Stories and then it you know it started to go to TV now. And I was doing an Instagram story at Queens Club last summer. And I, 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 I kind of thought, okay, I'm on my own here. I'm going in with my phone. I'm going to meet players and, you know, talk about all this sort of tennis stuff. Why don't I just write some stuff down on cue cards? Like, why, why should I go? Why would I go there doing the prep at home and then just go with no notes just because it's an Instagram story? And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat this like I would a, a TV show, not that I've ever done one before. So, you know, I wrote down the scripted stuff that I wanted to say questions for the players and it's all basic stuff, but I don't know why I just did not think I would do that for an Instagram story. And and after that, I really felt comfortable doing that so I could whip it out if I need to quickly look at something and it kind of evolved from there. So that did you just, have like, yeah, because obviously you've got, you've got one hand holding the phone and you've got one hand free. So did you have mm. like the phone and a cue card kind of in that one hand while you're recording it and then, talking into it or did you re- try and memorize the cue cards that you already had but use them as a refresher at times i i didn't have them out so i i, I feel like i've i've learned that what whatever i write down i remember uh so if it's a line if it's an intro line i'll write it down i'll have the cue card i'll whip it out quickly have a read put it back go i'll never have it out i never want to come across as someone who's who's got those notes in front of him even though i think an ipad things like that is very acceptable on TV. Um, and if you have to refer to it, fine. But I always try and memorize it in my head. So if I've written it down, I know. Um, and then obviously you go into the whole highlighting and uh, for TV, I'll go from a doc online and then I'll write it all on my notepad. I'll highlight in two different colors, questions and facts. And you just want to be able to find, you know, find the thing you want to look for, right? So the cute card might have something circled. It might have an entire um paragraph of things but there's that one fact that's circled and then i'll know the whole thing just by looking at that small section yeah it's about yeah the instantly easily accessible info and then the other stuff that you can then fill around it and as long as you've got those bits highlighted then that's kind of so how you said obviously a couple of years ago you started with the presenting via the instagram stuff which i'm assuming that was the amazon tv uh things down at queens amazon prime yeah stuff. yeah but how did you so, go? Because when I met you a, a long time ago for the first time, as we mentioned earlier, you were doing the, the Guardian kind of video doc stuff. And I'd always known you as a videographer. Um, I didn't 
know you were doing stuff in front of camera for those or not but i kind of figured you were the the camera guy the producer the, doing the whole shebang yourself but filming the content rather than being you know front of house for those i didn't think i don't think my bosses knew that i was in front of the camera <laughs> either um so it's weird because i i think I think I always wanted to be a presenter and I think everyone does until they find out they absolutely hate it, whether it's stage fright or just, I do not want to do this. Uh, I enjoy filming and editing and I, I still love that, but it was a real slow burn. I must say like I started at the guardian six years ago and I was there for two years. Um, and I must've presented maybe two or three videos and it took a while to sort of convince people that I was working with. I was purely learning how to film and edit very lucky to be able to learn on the job basically um and i went away from that and really the the online presenting started to give me sport and that was mba it was something i was comfortable with and when i look back now i think geez that was terrible but i thought it was good at the time um but yeah it, it, i kind of i didn't really know where i was going with presenting that was 2017 2018 and it, all i was doing was mba for give me sport and does anyone actually think i'm any good at this should i keep going my following's never been big at all and I was at Livewire, who are a creative agency, and they have a lot of clients. They're really, really successful. Premier League, Wimbledon, F1, you name it. And they won the rights to Amazon social media. They were going to launch Prime Video Sport, and they wanted a presenter for the stories. And they've since expanded their roster of presenters. Um, and they put me forward for it. Very grateful for that. And, they, and then the Queens was the first thing I did. So that was last July or June 2019. And since then, I've done a lot of events for Amazon, and then it's led into some things with Sky. Um, I've done a few festivals, and it's it's really been in the last year and a half. Um, I mean, that's, not even a, not even that. That's such a speedy trajectory from like first bit of presenting with uh, with the Queens Club stuff to anchoring a Sky Sports NBA show, which I'm sure there'll be some people that are like, well, it's NBA on English TV, who cares? But A, for somebody like yourself who is a huge NBA fan and you love the US sports anyway, and B, you're working for somebody like Sky Sports. A, that's a foot in the door. And B, it's not a small thing. You know, They went and made sure they got the rights from BT and the NBA actually pulls yeah. in a, a relatively decent audience considering what some kind of skeptics, I imagine, would probably think. Like the American sports does pretty well in terms of viewing figures for sky it's very quick man it's crazy impressive has it been a bit whirlwindy well it really meant a lot to me um i haven't achieved everything i want with with sky and the nba stuff um and it's sort of just started it started to progress there and, and obviously with what's happened it's made it challenging but i don't know I, honestly i think the instagram stories for as ridiculous as it sounds that really molded my style. And I thought when I look back now at presenting things, and I'm sure it's the same with everyone. I think the one thing I had that I really hate is just how stiff I was. And there was no, there was no personality coming across. There was no character. And the Instagram stories, because Amazon said to you, said to me, I don't want anyone to film you. It's got to be all selfie content. You got to be in the shot. It's got to be all about your personality. And I, I remember being in a meeting at Amazon's offices having done little presenting, thinking I've got to show them that I have a personality because I know what they're talking about. I know what they want. And it went from there. I, I, I just became comfortable smiling and laughing with players. And that's when my, I, I love the idea. I love the feeling of having the phone up in, you know, up in the air, selfie mode with a player next to me. I feel I'm just going to look at the screen the whole time. And then they start looking at the screen, you know, and it, it brings everyone together. And I, it just, 
my style went from there and that and that and when I did the TV show in March for Sky I just felt ready I don't know why but I just felt ready no that's I mean that's great eh, to have the kind of the confidence already to just step in and, and do, I mean I've, I've watched a lot of the clips that you've put out I didn't stay up for the NBA I'm afraid uh, it's generally the highlights that I'll try and watch if I can catch it um but you know the stuff that I've seen of your, all your work is is really impressive. This isn't like a two Max Whittle's Horn Hour or anything like that either. You know, it's, it's I appreciate it. It's great content, and it's something that I think that I, I I mean I definitely wouldn't be able to do things like the Instagram stories. A because of my apathy towards a lot of social media in general, I'd be like, oh, what am I doing? Like before I even start recording. Mm. But also exactly what you just said there. You know, a lot of people would love to be stood next to an, a player, an athlete, a cricketer, tennis player footballer whatever but actually when you get into that moment to find a way to relate and have casual conversation with a a lot of the time you know the pro athletes are pretty kind of guarded about how they're going to interact as well that must be a a really difficult barrier to actually break down that look i'm not here to try and throw you under the bus i'm not looking here for content that is going to you know hit the headlines what i want is just some you being natural so i can be natural so it can feel natural and it helps because they they're all on Instagram. They all have phones. They all love that content. And um, I think the one thing I pride myself on is research. If you do enough research, you can find stuff out about people that they don't really get asked about. So I remember the first player I interviewed at Queen's Club, it was Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, who won the ATP finals last December. And he has a YouTube channel. And I didn't know, obviously, didn't I didn't really follow tennis at all. Before I was doing this research, I was like, okay, he's got a YouTube channel. And then I started to look at some of the videos he's done. He's eating donuts in Kiev or whatever. And the first thing I said to him was, you know, can you tell me how many subscribers you have on YouTube? And he was really like, oh. And he guessed it. And he was like a thousand off. And he was really, really gutted about it. And I, I said to him, can you hold the phone? Because you're the expert here. You do all the blogs. So he held my phone and we had the chat like that. And I think, just finding ways to relax your guest is like bang. Like don't talk about grand slams and injuries and opponents. Just have a laugh with it. And then you can get to the questions that you you might have to do for your client after that. I have to say the, the most interesting interviews that I've ever done are either when I've had background information that is really unique or when I've had an ulterior motive kind of thing. So uh, this year at the Super Bowl, I... A friend of mine was meant to be getting married this summer. Unfortunately, the wedding's now cancelled and everything. But um, his wife asked me to, or wife-to-be, fiancé, asked me to um, just get any footage of an NFL player, uh, somebody either past or present around the game, famous face or something, just saying uh, to Alex, have a fantastic wedding day. And it was going to be played out at the wedding. And I was like, yeah, sure, because we, we're on Radio Row, so we're going to get like guests and all that kind of thing. And so down at the 49ers um, day, I just sat down with a couple of the O-linemen and was like, they're always the best guys to chat to anyway because nobody ever chats to them. And you can ask them weird questions and they just appreciate a bit of conversation a lot of the time. And I said to them, like, look, guys, before we do anything, can I just ask if you could do this for me, please? Like, we just want to make a quick video. It's for my mate. He's getting married. And it's like the most unprofessional journalistic thing to do, except for the <laughs> fact that they're not talking to anybody else. So you're not really hindering or hurting anybody. Um, if you were maybe doing it with like George Kittle or something, then there might be a different story to it. And uh, and it relaxed them and we had a laugh about it. And my my mate Alex went from playing offensive line to defensive line. So I was like, can you like say, come back to the O-line or something stupid like that? And just go, they were like, yeah. 
Alex, man, why did you leave us on the O-line? You've got to protect your quarterback and protect your family, especially now you're becoming a married man, you know, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. And it was great. And um, and then we had like a really just good chat about what the week had been like for them building up to it. But because they felt nice and relaxed, it all just worked. Mm-hmm. Same with James Devlin. His mate from school, his best mate from school, childhood friend, is friends with one of my childhood friends from school. So I went to James Devlin armed with all this information, like his first ever concert, um <laughs> what is your motto uh, can you complete this phrase if you ain't squatting and he was like you ain't lifting and he just kept giving me this look of like how do you know all of these weird facts from high school okay. yeah what is going on here and i was like if i said brad poley to you he was like mother i mean yeah okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was great it's, it's a, it feels good though doesn't it yeah when, when they, they have a report when they say man you've done you've done your homework and they that that that's what i like about that and with that example there you could go on to talking about their own weddings like they've given you a a, a message say okay do you remember your wedding or if if they're married of course or where do you want to get married um and that's what i enjoy like terry rosier uh the the charlotte hornets now and he said boston celtics they were in paris this january and we were talking about um some of the stuff he did as a child, and I remember an interview I did with him in Boston, he would not have remembered, obviously. And he told me that he was scared of squirrels. It was the only thing he's, he's scared of. <laughs> and um, I asked him the same question again, and just to get that line out of him. But you don't actually read about that ever. So I think YouTube is really helpful, like documentaries about players before you go on a shoot, just to see all the, their story, to get that like really hardcore stuff. But finding out fun facts to make them laugh, they take to you. They warm to you. It, it's it's a like it just it's the way it works. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's if you can show them that you're a human as well, they, and you can have a laugh, and it's not completely serious. I mean, it's the same with like co-commentators. If you can have that bit of chat beforehand, and it not be about football or the game or something. Uh, Don Hutchinson, I got a reputation with him of chatting about meat because first <laughs> time, first time we we we're like waiting for a game to kick off and he was like oh what's uh what are you up to i was like well actually i'm in the process while we're doing this game of doing like a nine hour slow cook with this really nice chunk of pork that i was doing he, was, and he got really into it he was like oh what have you used oh what herbs and spices so every time it's like what's on the menu this evening then wilson like what's going on it's just good to have that and it doesn't feel like it's a, a forced relationship at all and, and, and that's why i feel bad for beat reporters in the states like just have to ask the same questions to the same people every day like if you're a Patriots beat reporter, Belichick, like every day, oh, and then yeah. you can't. You, I know you establish rapport with players, and you can take them to the side. You know, like um, uh, Tommy Curran, who covers the Patriots at NBC. Like he's he's like a character, right? And his name is Tom. His middle name is starts with an E, so they call him Tommy. You know, Tommy, like Tom Brady, mm. and he's established a rapport with you know those guys, and you can pull them aside and have a, a chat and get that inside info, but. For the majority of them, they have to just talk football and, and they get picked up on every day. You know, Belichick's yeah. famous for kicking you to the ground if you ask a silly question. And I, I hate press conference, just the rules and regulations of it. And everyone's a little bit tense if you're dealing with a difficult coach, you know, and I don't like those environments too much. Well, it's the press officer that seems to make it worse than anything as well because the press officer will say will be that person that limits you from having and i'm not having to go at press officers there are some that are great and fantastic with access but a lot of the time you know they're there to guard the brand of the the club the franchise whatever and 
you just want to have a conversation with a player or a coach like they're a human being and the press officer wants it to be done in two minutes, no funny business, nothing outside of what's happening this weekend with the game. And it's like, oh, cool, great. Like, didn't realise I wasn't allowed to ask these questions. I thought it was a free uh, free journalism, but all right, okay. Yeah. You have to be very careful. I um, my, my worst ever moment in a presser when I was writing a story about Steph Curry's pregame, like, you know, when he had loads of fans coming in to watch a yeah. few years ago? Um, and I went into the, I, I was looking at like hit, the assistant coach, Bruce Fraser works very closely with Curry and Steve Kerr, the head coach was, you know, at the podium and English guy in the middle of a press conference. I said, so Steve, um, it was something to the effect of like, what do you see between Steph Curry? And I called Bruce Fraser, Bruce Feldman. I don't know why <laughs> Feldman came out and Steve Kerr just looked at me. And then someone helped me out. Some beat reporter just shouted, Bruce Fraser. And he answered the question. I thought, after all these weeks of research, you've said the name wrong, you idiot. <laughs> um, which is probably why I don't like press conferences. Was uh, was Steve all right with it in the end? Or was it a bit like... Yeah, he was fine. But he kind of looked at me. He could he could have helped me out. He could have probably put two and two together. But he, he decided not to that day. <laughs> yeah. Talking of beat writers as well, because it's been shown up on the... Um on the Bulls docks so much when they're talking about Jordan potentially retiring at the end of that final year and he gets asked that they was it on episode three or episode four where they just show the number of beat yeah. reporters asking him and asking <laughs> it and it's quite I'm glad that they're showing stuff like that because it shows that the player doesn't want it and it also shows that the journalists don't really want to be asking those questions either and they they're happy to say to the player look our, our editors are saying that we have to ask you this question. Like we, we have to keep asking. I've been told by my ed- one of the guys says I've been told by my editor that we have to ask this after every single time that we talk with you. And it's like, yeah. And Michael's like, well, the answer's going to be the same. It's like, but we got to. Like, I'm sorry. And even, but back then, at least it seems like, and I think probably the US and basketball in particular is good for having a bit of a better rapport with players mm. and the media than a lot of other sports. But it does seem even now when you compare what you see in the modern day kind of locker rooms and culture compared to that kind of culture. Jordan is still smiling and joking a lot. So is Pippin with those reporters. And yeah, they're both annoyed by the fact they've got to ask and answer those questions. But they both understand. I'm sure it was difficult. I'm sure it was difficult in periods. That's why Peter King, the NFL writer, is an absolute genius. Because when he was younger, he just got to know every player and every coach. And now he's got everyone in his phone book and he can just call them up and get a story. Whereas these beat reporters, they got to ask the questions. They, they don't want to get anything out of them. That's, that's why I don't understand that role anymore. Unless you have an established rapport with players, which a lot of the veterans do, the new writers on the block that are coming in, it's so hard, I'm, I can imagine, because you are. I, I would struggle to find a different question every day. Because how much does the narrative change on a you know, 162-game baseball season? Yeah. How does it? It doesn't. I know it fluctuates, but not every day. Yeah, the RBI only goes up by what point one every game or something like that. Maybe <laughs> if somebody's on a decent hitting streak. So I'm, I'm. Look, I'm professing I don't know enough about baseball to even get into it. That's why you're doing the the YouTube show, and I'm just wearing the cap to cover my head in sunburn <laughs> times. But um, <laughs> but yeah, especially perhaps they could the beat writers could start asking, should we have less than 162 games in a season, guys? Maybe that would be something that they should ask every single day. <laughs> It's going to be interesting uh, what happens now following all of this. By the way, I don't know why we keep talking about 
Sports fans in sports arenas this year. And I also don't think the Olympics is going to go off like everyone thinks it is. Like, what? what is the... Why are we assuming that anything's going to come back before next June? Honestly, because Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, is now talking morally, and he's, he's the best commissioner out there. He said, I'm not going to speak till 1st of May. Today's the 1st of May. There's increasing pressure on him. They've already put this date back about you know, facilities in Georgia reopening because Trump's opening certain states and whatever else. Um, and now he's come back and pushed that date back. I, I don't think you can put assigned dates on any of this stuff. And the, the morality of it is the tests need to be going to patients and frontline people, not NBA players, which is why I, I find it really hard to think that there will even be a season for any of these sports. Honestly, college football, NFL, why would it start in September? Yeah, the um the idea of running an NFL team when you've got social distancing up until maybe even September. You know like how how are you going to as a new head coach as a as a new quarterback be able to have that FaceTime if there's still still social distancing measures or if you would you want to if the NFL's given kind of a special priority to be able to go and get practices going once again, interact face-to-face and, and go back to relative normality in terms of a playing and, uh, and pre-season pre- preparation. And it's just impossible if you don't have it for a coach to implement a style and, and his playbook into it, really, without without enough practice. You see how hard it is for first-year coaches and quarterbacks anyway. So it is, unless they can get a, a proper pre-season done with mini-camps, training camps, four games the season shouldn't be going ahead on time. But the Bundesliga is still persisting in Germany. I, I mean, they've just pushed back by about a week, though. They wanted to start on May the 9th, and it looks like there isn't going to be a chance of it being done, uh, restarting again until May the 16th. The Premier League, they're pushing for this June thing. I mean, it yeah. it could damage sports organisations' reputations massively. Massively. I think it's, first of all, false hope to fans who really, really want to see it come back despite what's going on. It's false hope to give any date. If Liverpool win the league, there's going to be thousands of fans in the streets. They will not listen to anything. They'll, they'll, they'll just, they just will be, right? And even if, the Liverpool, even if the season comes back, in the NBA, they're talking about practice facilities. In Premier League, they're talking about, you know, uh, free-to-air games, but there'll be no fans there. It just will be different. Will it, does it, first of all, will it feel like you've won the league properly and then the the, que- the question of it actually happening where the Premier League rules they're laying out here they're saying when you go to training you've got to be in your kit um, but you you can't eat there and you can't chow there you got to go so they expect them to not eat together in the canteen but they expect them to play against another team on a Saturday what like yeah, come it's on it's ludicrous if you're having separation anywhere except the field that just makes the field <laughs> yeah. like, I mean are we going to have a two metre rule on players inside the 18 yard box at a set piece no people are going to be you know sweating physical all that kind of stuff with each other grappling and all that. it's not going to take away the contact measures basketball you've got half a chance it's a non-contact sport Max so they shouldn't be touching each Come other on. anyway <laughs> stop it they're, they're, honestly though Ollie, there's things you don't think about they were saying that golf will come back first because it's kind of social distancing anyway you can put remote cameras but there are things you never think about. So golf and tennis. Golf, take the ball out the hole, touch the flag. Uh, tennis, you're all playing with the same balls and you're going to bounce it. You're going to have to hold the ball. 
in but, your hand at some point. Yes, you know, you can separate in tennis, but that's happening. If you hand sanitize, surely those last for about five hours. That's as that's long enough for a tennis match. So if you hold the ball after the alcohol gel on your hands, you've got a chance of not picking up anything from the tennis ball. You won't be able to have ball boys and things face like that. And there's, yeah. there's always that risk. Yeah. Uh, darts was the one that I thought that could still continue because you know how people are trying to play beer pong over mobile phones via like WhatsApp video calls. So you're still shooting at the other end of the table and the other person still has to drink when you make one. Darts can be like that. Professional darts players can have an Oki and a camera set up inside their house if they really want to play a tournament <laughs> and do it without <laughs> ever interacting badly. with each other. Yeah, And then we can have screens like Roger Goodell had during the draft of darts fans doing the stuff like that in the background to make them feel like they're at the uh, at Abbey Pally or somewhere like that. So yeah, I think darts can work still in these crazy times and we'll all just have to start becoming darts pundits or players <laughs> it's just not it's just not the same is it it's just no. not the same and we should I, i've kind of i've really um i've given up hope with that I, i've accepted this is how life is I, I honestly but there's not much else it's hard but there's a lot worse situations that people are in right now and I, i've kind of given up on the sport thing that's <laughs> So you, you know. but you've like obviously you've got this YouTube uh, show coming up for with the MLB, which yeah definitely gives you something productive to do, including from what I gather from a picture of you with Doritos all around your bedroom, <laughs> uh, a lot of cleaning to be done. Um, <laughs> but yeah, done as, last night. Aside from that, with you know the mentality of okay, I can't think about sport and stuff. How are you staying? Because productivity and positivity are the two things that you kind of need at this point something to do that keeps you kind of going and gives you a purpose for the day and just staying yeah. upbeat which they both kind of go hand in hand really so what do, what have you been doing to kind of well firstly with the mlb show um which started last week that's a 10-week program for now and that's given me something to do because they share the script with us and the ideas on monday so like as an avid kind of get ahead of it guy i will go through that i'll research the guests we're going to have on I'll do my usual notes, you know, and that gets me through the week to Thursday. And then Thursday's a whole day where my camera setup in here is wild. I have to move my mattress up to put the tripod on the bed and um, <laughs> all sorts of stuff. High and tech. The burritos, as you said. But that, that, that's, that's the, before that, the first month of this was very hard, I must say. Um, but I read a lot. I just finished a book about Kobe Bryant. I, I, before this all happened, I was about to go to Italy for Sky and do like a, it was an idea of mine I really wanted to do. Kobe was a you know so important to me growing up, and I wanted to tell his story because he grew up in Italy for eight years. So this has given me the time to research it way more um, than I would have had chance to. So st opened up some docs, started taking notes, finished that book. I cycle a lot, I run a lot. Um, obviously, exercise is a big part of most people's lives, and that's it really. I I, I tell you what, I have been doing a lot watching. Um, I subscribed to ESPN Player, and I've just been watching doc after doc after doc. Um, <laughs> if I can recommend a few, Dennis Rodman for better or worse is amazing. Um, Believe Land about the Cleveland fans. Uh, I also watched um, Christian Leitner, Love Me or Hate Me, which is about the famous college basketball player. And the one I'm on now, OJ Simpson, Made in America. Um, I've read the book about you know, the trial and I watched the Netflix series, but the adaptation, but this is like everyone you can think of that was involved is on this interviews. And it's amazing. It's five parts. 
It's so good. This is like the ten hour one, isn't it? That I think. Yeah, they're all like an hour and a half. It's long. Yeah, they put they put it on BT a few uh, a few years ago, and I kind of was going through that, and I missed a couple and completely forgot to record them, unfortunately. So I need to go back and kind of finish off the OJ one. But that's, I mean, that's really well done. That's basically reliving the whole court case and then some kind of thing during that. It's it's a fantastic watch. Have you watched the one about um is it Jimmy V, North Carolina State coach? I haven't watched that one. Um, obviously aware of everything that happened to him. Is that on ESPN Player? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the original 30 for 30s that kind of came out. That and the five days in Boston, I think it is, the comeback against the Yankees when they were 3 nothing down. And it's filmed. Oh, yeah. It's filmed by it kind of been a following fans around more than anything else. And the, uh, the kind of handheld footage of chatting with players before and after games and inside the clubhouse and things like that. That's a very good one. Maybe not if you're a Yankees fan, but if you're a Sox fan or like seeing the Yankees lose, like most baseball fans do, then yeah, that's definitely one I'd recommend. Yeah, they're really well done. Uh, the uh, the ESPN player doing a, a free week trial. If you want to get back on that and finish the OJ series, it's yeah, nice. it's brilliant. Um, but that's that's it. That's it, man. Just stay ready, you know, and and send out emails and keep your LinkedIn active. Make sure. LinkedIn. But sometimes I think it's best to just okay, chill out, take a step back. It's all right to not chase this stuff because there's not not a lot of people <laughs> working right now. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I did notice Ian Dark had his uh, setup doing some old Champions League voiceovers for BT. He showed that on social media. I was like, probably about the only football commentator that's doing commentary at the moment. To be honest, there's <laughs> nothing nothing else about. Um, what about the well, class- how are you? D- how are you getting on? So I've gone into classic games. I've, I've the fact that the Obviously, NFL Game Pass goes back quite a long way. And then there are loads, absolutely loads of NFL games on YouTube in kind of full two hours, 15 minutes. No adverts, no breaks or anything like that. So I've been going through a load of classic games. Me and two other mates kind of sync up on YouTube, all hit play at the Mm. same time and then watch while having a Skype conversation. So it's quite a good social thing to do. Um, 3 p.m. kickoffs every single Saturday with my dad doing a similar thing, finding classic football games. Yep. As soon as the clock ticks over to three o'clock in the afternoon, we hit play and we have a Skype pre-match, half-time and full-time talking about the game and then just catching up and stuff, which is quite good. Oh, that's nice. Is he is he the reason you got into sports? Oh, massively. I mean, his, he had me reciting and learning the Milan 1994 European Cup winning side. Yeah, I was six years old and I've, I still kind of remember watching that game. But I used to be able Chicks to... dig that. The chicks dig the 94 Milan team. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, look, <laughs> Billy Costa-Curta had legs to die for in Italy back then. So, I mean, he was definitely doing all right with the ladies at that point. So. What about you? How are you doing with the ladies, knowing that team, knowing uh, the team lineup yeah, for 94? It doesn't work on Tinder at the moment, I'm afraid. Like, I've got Is it down. on your bio? Yeah, it's just my bio. It's just the team sheet. But unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you know what this is, then you'll know is underneath it and then it's just yeah above it is the full starting 11 and not many likes unfortunately all these 60 year old italian men are like god we love this guy (laughs) yeah i get loads of buzzes actually when i'm in milan on the very rare occasions i've been in italy in the last few years absolutely goes down a treat um (laughs) and i started watching what was it the mavs against the uh heat game two yeah that went up on the nba youtube site they've been really good at putting kind of some great yeah they have it it hasn't really done it for me but reading this kobe book i i delved into some of the series they talked about because the 2002 western conference finals kings lakers 
my dad was watching that on Sky and I came downstairs and I started watching it with him. And this was when Kevin Cadle used to host the Sky stuff on NBA. NBA. And that was the first time I really got, watched it with him. And he took me straight into town. I wanted a Shaquille O'Neal jersey and they only had Bryant jersey. So I bought a Bryant jersey and I just, and I, it sounds really soppy, but as the credits were rolling on the Sky show, it was like 18 years later all I could think of was that. I was like, you've got to focus now. But all I could think of was the first NBA game I ever saw was on Sky. This is really weird. Yeah. No, but it also it's great to have like, I'm guessing obviously you big basketball fan from a very young age and everything. So as you were saying, so it's like you always have those moments of a youngster of like, man, I'd love to be involved in that in some way, shape or form. And when you realize you're not six foot seven, and probably not going to make the NBA. It's like, well, what? How else can I be close to something that gives me so much joy and and really is my passion as a youngster and going through into adult life? And to then get anywhere near that, like I was buzzing the first time I did a commentary for like hospital radio at Villa Park. I was like, oh my god. Oh yeah, that's a good way in, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going out. So I started with I used to steal a Marantz and a lip mic from my university, <laughs> and I would yeah. go um, as a freelance journalist to Villa Park. Uh, Wolves in the Midlands and I'd get Irish player quotes for the Irish papers but during the game I'd just be practicing commentary oh, brilliant. I'd record it and then I'd show it to my lecturer who was an ex-BBC Lincolnshire commentator, wouldn't show it I'd listen obviously and uh, and he would critique it and I'd go back the next week and try again and try again so I did that during my journalism course and then I started getting some demos together, gave it to the local hospital radio guys in Birmingham and uh and yeah they got me kind of going on that and i was so excited for my first game villa against qpr when cisse just signed for uh for for rangers villa battered them at villa park midweek game as well i was like wow there's like three hospitals worth of people listening to me and it's <laughs> and you and then to do any Very of the cool. stuff that i've done it's just yeah it gives you it does give you like a real shiver of you've not made it made it but you've definitely ticked some like boxes of career goals that you maybe thought you'd never get to do and i'm sure like the sky stuff for you and covering nba for the biggest sports broadcaster in the uk man that is a huge yeah you forget you forget don't you you, you don't you don't always step back it's funny you mentioned villa obviously i'm a villa fan and the, the first um time i was in a press box was at, same to you i was at uni and i got some work experience with the uh, Matt Kendrick at the Birmingham Mail. Oh yeah, nice and guy. Really nice guy, and and I owe him a lot as well. And he, um, I was sat in the press box next to him, uh, doing like a match report. You know, just basically trying to look like I was doing some work, for, trying to impress people. And Villa scored, <laughs> and you know what it's like in a press box. No one celebrate, and uh, I'd never been in one before. And I, I almost, I stood up like Villa scored, and I sat back down again. <laughs> That's not supposed to work here. That's, <laughs> that that's work like that. one of the f- joys of like doing comms and radio is that you're able, especially if you're working for the local radio station, because that's who I then got work with. I was working with it when it was free radio back in Birmingham, is that mm. you're meant to be biased towards the Midlands sides anyway. And you can, I mean, I'm not a Midlands football fan. I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan for my sins, but you can <laughs> stand up when something emphatic happens, you know, like when Liverpool uh, lost to Villa at Anfield. And Benteke had an absolute stormer after being crap for the first half of the season. And we were stood up like, get him, Villa, unbelievable. And you can yeah. get away with that. You can let the emotion come through a bit. I think because I'm a sucker for that otherwise. Because uh, I, 
when I was doing written work, I'd sit there and I would be kind of doing, oh, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd be way too emotive while other guys are, you know, prepping their first 200 words and things like that. Did you want you to learn do... the ropes quickly. Did you want to do written journalism initially or was it always TV? Yeah, and honestly, when I applied for the sports journalism degree, so the, 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 this is the story, right? And I'll keep it very brief. I went to Spain when I was 18 to play basketball, Gran Canaria. And at the time, I was I had this wild dream I was going to be a player. And it was it was an established academy, but there was no chance I was going to go pro or anything. I wanted to go to college and play in America. And my goal was to be like a you know degree in sports management, whatever. Mm. I didn't know. And then when I was out in Gran Canaria, I started missing home and I missed football. So I started buying the sun for my sins. <laughs> uh, in Gran Canaria and that's how I, that's how it started I, I was like okay journalism let's do that so I went home and, and when I applied for it to answer your question I was just assuming it would be how to learn how to write articles and I got there and there was all these shiny radio and tv facilities so I started hiring out the studios doing podcasts and like you like I was going to say when you were talking about the Marantz we had Marantz's there like these brick sized things and students always ask you like how do you get in just do stuff like yeah. it's not it's not hard just 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 use your initiative and take advantage of three years of basically free stuff at uni and just make stuff and it's it it will sound awful but people will reward you for your your like, ambition and your you know everything else yeah you it's something you can show to somebody that will give you some work experience somewhere and if you and you'll learn on that work experience and then you'll take the whatever you've learned from that and use it on your next demo that you do or your next kind of string of podcasts that you do. And then when that comes off, then you'll maybe go somewhere else or get an internship somewhere. And it all it all just piles together. I mean, it takes... I consider myself very lucky in a lot of the things that I've done because it was a kind of a... Everything came together, right place, right time. I got a big break from being at a wedding in the USA and the father of the groom just said oh yeah, I listened to this soccer podcast called World Football Daily. Maybe you could uh, do something <laughs> with them. I don't know. And so I contacted them and uh, and they said, look, we'll get you on every single Monday because they did a show five days a week for like two hours. And it was back when you could get away with a subscription-based podcast. So people were paying right. money every week for the content. And it was all um, it was all unpaid for me, but it was whilst I was doing my journalism course. And so every Monday we didn't have, we had lectures Thursday and Friday. So I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to sort stories for what we were doing on the Wednesday, uh, Thursday and Friday lectures. Saturday, Sunday, I'd be off watching football at ground somewhere thanks to this freelance pass. And then Monday I'd do a breakdown of the Premier League action with them. And when I had to do a work experience for my course, we had to do 10 days. I didn't want to go to like a newspaper and sit and be like getting coffee and things like that. On Facebook. So I spoke to the guys in LA and said like, look, could I come and like work on this show? I want to get hands-on experience of doing something. And uh, the producer was like, look, if you get yourself out here, we'll have you host the show for 10 days. Like, don't worry about That's it. Great. I was like, sweet. So managed to find a very cheap apartment in Los Angeles to stay in, in Culver city and, uh, and got a flight out to LA and did 10 days of work experience in Los Angeles. And they asked me to go out and cover for the main That's presenter for bad. two months. And it was like, all right, yeah, I'll do that for my summer. The guys at the Euros for Yahoo Sport, and I'll cover his shifts on the on the podcast for the for the summer. So I had a summer in California doing that, and that just got me so many contacts in so many places. Like Andy Brassel was a regular for them, Tim Vickery, Rebecca Lowe, like all of oh, these cool. names. And so you got used to talking to them, and then 
you know, they'll give you a bit of help here or there, or you just get used to kind of, you, you learn bits. I mean, Andy Brassel, I could learn so much from because he knows everything about anything. Everything. But yeah. it, it's, it's all about little breaks and little bits of luck like that, but also then taking it and turning it into something and, and developing your own ideas or, or pushing yourself to then try and find the next step on from stuff. It's quite, but that's great that you say that because it, I know money's tight, especially when you're a student, but you are, I know you're paying for your way out there, but to spend, if you're passionate like we are about American sports to spend a month or two in LA, like it might be on your own dime, but, you're in that weather, you're doing the work you want to do, you know it's going to lead to something. And actually people that, they say, this guy just paid to come over to the States and do this. I mean, I, the same for me, like, I think that's when you have the most fun. At uni, we had a, there was a radio station at uni, uh, Radio Sonar, and me and my friend Alex, who's now actually one of the press officers at Southampton, he's done really well. Press officers. Oh, at Southampton as well, they're renowned for being <laughs> terrible. Max, what's going on? Oh dear. Well, he's one of the good ones. Um, it was called goals on Monday. And we, we had all this fun with the jingles, like, you know, Barbara Streisand. So we, we had this, we found this website that we could tweak. So it said, goals on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'd spend up, we'd spend two hours on a Monday night taking calls from our mates who are back at in halls and talking about football. And then Saturday there was this website called football exclusives. And it was non-league football, and it was it, obviously not paid. But to, uh, Alex ended up working covering Eastley, and I did have it in Waterlooville. So on a Saturday, you'd get on the train, you'd do your match report in the press box. So you were learning how to file at like ten to five, um, and then you go and film. I can't believe what we actually did. Like as twenty-year-olds, film um, player interviews, and then you'd edit them. and And we couldn't do any of that. We we were ha- we had these crappy Panasonic cameras. <laughs> We didn't know how to operate them. We didn't know what white balance was, but we made it work. It was so much fun, and, and that's when you learn the most, I think. Non-league players are so good as well. They just they talk to anyone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Lincoln City, because they weren't in the uh, in the Football League <laughs> at that time. And, like, you'd be waiting just outside the dressing room for kind of interviews, and you'd hear, like, the teacups being thrown around by uh, David Holdsworth, brother of <laughs> Dean Holdsworth at that time. And he was the nicest bloke. Like, we, we'd ask them as well. We'd ask the club look, can we come and do the press conference? They'd be like, yeah, sure, bring a camera. We'd be like, yeah, okay, like we'll get used to them filming <laughs> stuff. And we had to do like a, a fake news report kind of thing for our course. And so Holdsworth did a full sit-down chat with me about Lincoln City at the moment and where the club was going and what he wanted to do. And then I was given a pass to do pitch-side filming. So I was getting loads right. of B-roll of filming a football game, which is so tough. I mean, I know you've yeah. done obviously a lot of camera work, but I never realised how any sort of close-up shot on a moving sport is almost impossible <laughs> at first when yeah, you've never done it. You don't, you don't get to watch the game, put it that way. Yeah, like all You're of just tracking. All of those NFL film shots where it's the slow-mo of the ball coming over the top and suddenly the hands come into shot and grab it. I have such a newfound appreciation for that because <laughs> you know in, in fast mode, in full speed, that's actually like rapid and the guy's just nailed the shot. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I remember how starstruck we were and we used to love it because the, the players we got a bit friendly with, uh, non-league, and they start following us on Twitter and we'd be like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, and then there was this famous kit man, he's called Kitman Edge and haven't stayed up on the last day of the season one year. And he was like, oh, I was going to have a heart attack. And he was like a real character. And we just have so many stories on a Saturday night. Like 
obviously, like you, when you were studying your 94 Milan team, we weren't picking up any girls, but we were, we were covering <laughs> non-league football at uni and we were living the dream. <laughs> so, I mean, you're obviously friends with a lot of famous faces now, Max. You've done a lot of the Instagram Ollie stuff. Wilson. I mean, yeah. there's the golfer, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty impressive. I there's a golfer say. called Ollie Wilson. Oliver Wilson, yeah, the golfer, who has basically destroyed any chance for a lot of website names and social media uh, things. Hence why I'm <laughs> O underscore J underscore Wilson. And it's like, oh, yeah, all right. That guy. Right. And then there's Owen Wilson as well, the actor. So you get mixed up with him. Every work email, every single company that I've worked with has sent me at least one email with Owen Wilson as the uh, <laughs> recipient. It's like, come on. I've, got a better nose than the guy at least you do have a better nose and he's creepy as well (laughs) (laughs) but um who's the most famous person that follows you on social media uh lebron no i'm joking (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i don't know that's a tough one like there's you know i've got i've got the the journalists mean more to me so you know like the likes of peter king who um he's like been really great for great to me um i'm you've got me on my i have to go through my list now but it's big like journalists like like peter um i'm trying to think of players because there are a few players that follow me but off the top of my, i'm gonna have a look for you right now yeah yeah <laughs> have a little have a little gander no i mean the fact that you say well i've got to look through my list for which one which one of these celeb uh, famous sports writers broadcasters and athletes i've got to got to find the best one for you from a selection of about 100 or so shows that uh, you've probably got quite a few names on there then but it's it's a nice feeling and then you sort of feel responsible like for instance we were in um Arizona for spring training recently and uh, a couple of the players that we interviewed followed us David Boti for the Cubs uh Miles Michaelis Michaelis for the Cardinals that was really cool like Boti had this famous walk off moment a few seasons ago and he's a bit of a cult figure in Chicago um and he was like he was walking off the pitch and and field and we just like chatted to him for an interview and he'd followed us on instagram and it was like oh it's our friend david boat and he came up to the camera and was like hey and i went thanks for the follow thanks for the follow back and i thought <laughs> you're you're david freaking bowie i'm just you know max so yeah i remember you. i remember seeing that and there was a moment of like wait have, have these guys like met before i'm sure <laughs> yeah max is in tight out. with the cubs man i mean i know you noticed you changed your jersey every five minutes on uh, a lot of that instagram content you know you sell sell your yeah. soul for the mlb i think there mate i know i have um all right i've got a few names for you okay um chris wokes england nice. cricketer that was fun. And it, these are all just based off interviews I've done and we've gotten along. And that's another thing I would say to people coming up. If you if they like you, they might follow you. <laughs> uh, Zach Lowe, who is my favorite NBA writer. That's, I mean, that when that happened, I nearly passed out because he's like, he's brilliant. Yeah. Nice. Why the hell does he follow me? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going down a list. Those are two I've found for you. How about that? Is Self, that good enough? Self-deprecating there, Mr. Whittle, man. Not at all. Shouldn't be, shouldn't I sound, be saying things sound like, like such a narcissist. I'm just going down my followers <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he followed me. Oh, yeah, and that guy as well. Oh, yeah, oh, okay. You know, you know, random follower I have got. Do you remember Eva Canero? How do you sell a certain the one, the Mourinho physio that Mourinho yeah, 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 like? Eva Canero, yeah. She's just she come back into me. the news. She's following you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. Oh, in fact, I do know why. I did a story on the. Uh, Phoebe Schechter and uh, Joe Club, who both work for the Bills, Buffalo Bills, and I think she just watched it and and replied and then followed it. Uh, oh, nice. Followed me. That was cool. 
Nice. Yeah, she's just come back into the news as well because she was saying, or she was giving her expert medical opinion on coronavirus and sport to, um, I think it was Henry Winter, dropped yesterday that article. I haven't had a chance to look through it. But, um, okay. I mean, I have well, had a chance, but I've done other things. I mean, there's a big difference between I haven't had the time because I've got a lot of time at the moment to probably read whatever <laughs> article I want to, but I haven't got around to it yet. Let's put it that way. Maybe I'll DM her and ask her what the project was all about because she follows me. You know, that's what you can do. You guys are pretty tight. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> you go way back. You go way back. Yeah. Fair. But yeah, I, I would like to reiterate that the journalists mean, I'm kind of old school. The journalists mean, I love interviewing journalists in America. They're so good at their subject. They know their stuff and they're fun. They're like, they're like celebrities out there, aren't they? Yeah. And they, they still have that childish exuberance for it i think still as well mm. there there is an element of that young kid which i'm not saying uh, i've seen that in be lost in many english journalists or anything like that but i think especially the broadcasts in the u.s they're a bit more open to expressing that like you what even their studio setups are like you imagine that's what they wanted their bedroom almost to look like when they were a kid with like baseball stuff all over the wall or with like NFL logos all over the wall or anything like that. Whereas I think in the UK, it's, it's still that little bit more reserved at times. Yeah. I'm with you on that. And a lot of journalists are less, um, they're less, not, it's like helpful, you know, a lot of the times the journalists in America, they're being asked by students or people coming through to be, to interview and they always do it mm. and they always give it their all. Um, I wish I could say the same for here, but, but I don't get, think that's okay. They get paid more as well, don't they? Jo- I mean, journalists and yeah, broadcasters do well. get pra- yeah. paid and treated very well indeed. Whereas, yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're a good writer there, if you're established, you're 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 on seven figure salary, yeah, yeah, or high six figure salary. It's all about being the uh, the British writer and broadcaster, Max, out there. That's, <laughs> I mean, we're still trying. <laughs> how do you crack that? How? Because that's that's the other thing is that there is a glass ceiling almost to UK US sports broadcasting because all of it's going to be like late night work and things like that, which is definitely tough, particularly as you go further down the line with potential family career and juggling Mm. that. Thankfully, I don't have any of that. So I'm just career, 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 and I can do the 4 a.m. stints and things like that. But that obviously will come into it as people kind of go through the 30s into 40s and all that kind of stuff. Whereas the US just doesn't seem to take to an English voice that much. That's the challenge that um, even now when our MLB shows are going on the, you know, the global YouTube page and, you know, you you get a lot of who are these Muppet kind of things. And you're right. Like I think at the moment, the fact that I've been able to do NBA and MLB at, you know, the, the high level here, NFL, is that not the better route? Because it's our audience. and But at the same time, you say that about Americans, but I don't think the the British have ever, the sports British fans have ever taken to British people talking about American sports. They still, for the majority, hate it. They just, they cringe at it. it either it's not presented right, and that's obviously the fault of the, the producers, the presenters, whatever it is, uh, or it's just the fact that fans... And I don't blame them, even though this is my job, would rather watch TNT or, you know, whatever it is. And that's, that's the battle. So I think at the moment I enjoy making it a success here and having, say, four or five trips to the States a year. I love going out there to work. 
I also like coming back. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's, there's a real battle we face here, honestly, because you, you have both audiences aren't necessarily keen on it. Yeah, I remember I've experienced kind of scenarios where broadcasts have said, no, we want it to be an American voice on coverage of whichever sporting event I've been asking or talking about doing. And similarly, I've also, as a commentator, I've done some of the FIBA stuff in the past and even doing Eurobasket and things like that, I still feel awkward when I've tried to throw in a bit too much of maybe the American vernacular. You know, oh, what an alley-oop. Just doesn't sound good in a british yeah. accent you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> I know what you mean. oh he's powered that down hasn't he like you know <laughs> obviously i remember the there was a uh a british basketball league advert back in on and you remember nasn yeah, or, yeah. Uh, it was nasn yeah and it was uh the british basketball league see the big men fly to see them fly and i was like <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh no just stop it now yeah it doesn't need to be done but but i also think at the same time I don't know, like, I'm going to be kind of biased to myself because I, I, I don't like my own voice, but I like, I know when I've done a good job and when I haven't. And yeah. there are a couple of the NFL broadcasts that I came out of, particularly last year, the um, the Bucks-Carolina game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Like, I f- you know when you feel in a groove with something, like you were saying when you were mm. presenting Sky for the first time, you're just like, I'm just ready. Like, I just know what I'm doing. I know this content. And similarly with that, I was just I walked in there and it was like, yeah, like I've done now a few of these NFL games for Talksport. I've done a few for the Wembley Hard of um, uh, Visually Impaired feed as well. Like I, I know this sport, like I I can do this, and it didn't sound when I listened to because um, my producer sent me a highlights cut of it. It's like it didn't mm. sound like a oh god, that's a horrible English accent. It sounded just like a broadcast to the point of like I'd love. I'd love to know what Americans think. And I asked one of the, um, Sal Capaccio, who's a sideline mm. reporter for the Buffalo Bills. I sent him the, the copy of the tape with some other stuff as well. And he was like, man, you sound really good. The only thing I'd say is, because there was some Jags-Eagles highlights on there as well. He's like, they're the Jaguars, not Jaguars. <laughs> and I was like, oh, come on. Like, fuck. <laughs> so there's always that idea that maybe at some point there is a possibility of an English voice being able to be out there presenting or doing commentary or broadcasting in some way. I think you could definitely write as an English person out in the US and I'm surprised more don't, to be honest. But Well, like men in, men in blazers have gone out there and obviously it's different because it's our sport. It, we feel like it's our sport and that's, that's work because of that. But there are, you know, the John Olivers of the world who have just made that work in his, in his space. Mm. Um, I just, when I, when I read a comment, like who are these guys, they clearly haven't done their research or what do they know? I know that I know NBA. I know, I know MLB. And if you test me on it, if I've researched, I know. And, and I, I think if you come across as entertaining and educated, um, I think those are the important things. Make sure you, you enlighten your audience with some facts, but you 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 know present it in a way that's lighthearted, and I, that's that's always my goal. And and I think if you do that, and you and you just you can tell if I I can tell when I watch someone, you can see right through it with an American sports commentator in England. If they don't know what they're talking about, you know immediately. Mm. You just do. And there are some people that you just wow. But then if you come across as good and you know your stuff. I don't think they can complain about anything, really, but they will. <laughs> I have to say, they always will. Everybody, there's always somebody. You can't please everybody, but as long as you can 
no do the job then it's all right mate let's leave it there for the moment i'd love to carry on chatting with you about all of this stuff and i do want to talk to you about the bulls doc as well because and especially how the u.s just does documentaries so much better than we do in terms of sport and following sport and it's i guess the coverage and the access is greater anyway but they do such all a good I, job. All I'll say is poor Jerry Krause, who <laughs> can't speak for himself because he's dead, and they've kind of portrayed him in a very negative light. Uh, MJ's always a god. doesn't matter what he does. He's a god. Well, you know that ESPN documentary, Jordan Rides the Bus? Yeah. Well, Jerry Krause is underneath that bus that Jordan's riding. I think that's, <laughs> exactly. that's what they've done. They've thrown him right under it. Yeah. yeah, and and you wouldn't think so, given how they at every turn try to point out that Kraus is rather on the large side. So, yeah. yeah, certainly went around the houses uh, with Max there on that one, but thoroughly enjoyable chat. You can follow Max on Max underscore Whittle. That's W H I double T L E on Twitter, Max underscore Whittle. You can find him on Bases Covered, the MLB UK YouTube show. Just get onto YouTube for that and you'll be able to find all of those episodes as they drop in the next few days with celebrity guests and, of course, Max himself hosting the show. Uh, And uh, we'll be back whenever we next can get a guest on and whenever we can next start talking about the NFL and any drastic changes that get going. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, check out the Jacksonville Jaguars schedule release video with uh, about 90 seconds worth of crazy cats and mocking all the NFL teams which is probably my favourite thing that I've found so far during COVID-19 time. Uh, until then, take care, enjoy uh, and stay safe.